I started a series last Sunday morning entitled, Why Pray? And I used that particular title to be provocative, and that is to just really be honest with ourselves and with one another and, and purposing not to be afraid to ask the question, Why Pray?, but also just really find out where we are at in our prayer life with God. What are we really believing? I shared with you various scriptures in the Word of God. For example, in 2 Thessalonians, we are told to pray without ceasing. I think the NIV says continuously pray. Ephesians 6.18 telling us to be praying always with all manner of prayer. And Luke 18.1, man always ought to pray and not to lose heart. And then Jesus told us to be praying for labors of the harvest. That's recorded in Matthew chapter 9. Pray for the harvest. And so the question, you know, begs to be asked, you know, you know what, what's up with that? Pray for the harvest. Doesn't God's will declare in his word that he desires all men everywhere to come into the kingdom of God? He desires for all to be born again, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him would not perish. You know, so, uh, but yet he's telling us to pray for labors of the harvest, telling us not we should always be praying and not become discouraged and lose heart and Praying with all manner of prayer. There's different types of prayer, and that's important to know that, even though we're not necessarily getting into that in this series, but there are different types of prayers. Prayers of agreement, prayers of petition, prayers of intercession, prayers of thanksgiving, and there's different rules, biblical rules and guidelines that, that govern the different types of prayers, just like there's different uh, rules that govern different types of sport. You know, football, tennis, baseball, hockey, basketball, they're all sport. But they are, there's different rules that govern those particular sports. And so many times we treat prayer like, you know, it's just all, one, all the rules apply to the same type of prayer. But that just ends up in confusion. So anyway, as, as to why be praying? Why be praying? Now, understanding that, God, uh, that uh, our sovereign God has for his own reasons designed the world so that much of what is truly his will, he makes contingent on the attitudes and actions of human beings. It's contingent on the attitudes and actions of human beings. Now, he allows us as humans to make decisions that can influence history. Human inaction does not nullify, does not nullify the atonement of Jesus Christ, but human inaction can certainly make the atonement ineffective for lost people and other people as well. That's a quote from C. Peter Wagner. Then the other quote I shared with you last Sunday morning, I want to share it again from Jack Hayford. It says, prayer is essentially a partnership of the redeemed child of God, working hand in hand with God toward the realization of his redemptive purposes here on the earth. So why pray? Why pray? The answer that I gave you last Sunday morning is that uh, in, in knowing as to why we pray, you know, again, is it because God needs us to pray or does he just want us to pray? Is it just simply a Christian discipline? Well, it's more than a discipline. Certainly a discipline is, is, is a great part of it, but it's more than something he just wants us to do from a, a discipline standpoint. But he needs us to pray. He needs us to pray, and our prayers really can change things. They really can change things in our own personal lives, but also in the, in the world around us and in, in, in the, all, all, all over the globe as prayers of intercession are going up. It's really as God is looking for men and women that will take him at his word, 
take him at his word and petition him on his word and go before the throne with great boldness and great confidence and bring his word to him in the form of prayer. And, and God has chosen to work through that. So God has uh, chosen in his sovereignty. People say, well, God is sovereign. Well, okay, I believe that God is sovereign. But in his sovereignty, he just, he's not just doing whatever he wants to do. In his sovereignty, he has decided that he's going to work on the earth through the body of Christ, through human beings. He's, he's working through the church. And we are the church. You know, the church is not this building. You and I coming together this morning make up the church. Before we got here today, this was just another building among all the other buildings here in the area. But the church came together today in this building. So wherever two or three are gathered together, that's the church coming together. God has decided that his will be carried out on the earth through the church. He delegated authority. He, gave, he delegated authority on earth to humanity. In the very beginning, in, in the book of uh, uh, Genesis, when he created Adam and Eve, he put them in the garden. When you read the first couple chapters, you'll find that he put, placed them in the garden, and their primary responsibility was to be fruitful, to multiply, to guard and to keep. To guard and to keep. To tend it, to guard it, to keep it, be fruitful and multiply. And that was their commission from God. His creation man and woman, male and female, on the earth to rule and to reign and to have dominion on the earth. It's God's sovereign will that that's how it's going to be carried out on the earth. So basically we have to be honest and, and, and an honest look at scripture, I believe, reveals that how things went in the garden were not so dependent on God as much as it was dependent on Adam. God gave Adam authority. And therefore, Adam was given delegated authority, and he had the authority to rule and to reign and to have dominion, to be fruitful and multiply, to guard and to keep, to tend it, take care of it. It's your responsibility. Well, like I humorously said last Sunday, I thought it was humorous. Maybe you didn't, but anyway. <laughs> Maybe it's just a dad joke, right? But I humorously said last Sunday that if... I would like to believe that if I had been placed in the garden and told to tend it and to keep it, to be fruitful and multiply, to protect it and so forth, that my story would have lasted more than just a few chapters. I would like to believe I would have gotten beyond Leviticus someplace. <laughs> you know, just, just. But anyway, you get into chapter three. Everyone say chapter three. Chapter That's not a very long history. I mean, it does have, it's not a lot of history there. Adam blew it. The serpent came in and deceived Eve, and, and, and Eve shared with Adam what's been going on, and he, he fell for it as well. And, 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 and as, as a result of their deception and believing the lie of the devil rather than believing God's delegated authority, they yielded to the voice of the serpent, the God of this world system, small g. They yielded to him, and as a result of yielding to him, they, they lost their anointing to rule and to reign and to have dominion. Satan became the God of this world. 
And that's verified when you get into the, into the Gospels. You get into the Gospel of Matthew, where, where Jesus has now come to the earth. He has now been baptized by the Holy Spirit, and now the Holy Spirit is leading Jesus into the wilderness for that 40-day temptation period. And as he's in the wilderness being tempted by the devil, the, the devil is offering to Jesus, among other things, he said, Jesus, if you will bow down and worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of this world. I'll give them to you. For they have been given unto me. They were given to me. So Satan is telling Jesus, these kingdoms have been given to me, and I give them to whomever I will. So if you will worship me instead of worship God, I will give this to you. Notice he's trying to circumvent the will of God. Still trying to circumvent the will of God. Now, the first man, Adam, was tempted by the devil, and he yielded to it. He yielded to the temptation. The second Adam, which is Jesus Christ, he's referred to as the second Adam, he also came in with an anointing and with a commission from God to bring restoration and to pay the penalty for sin, atonement for sin, to pay the penalty, to restore us back to what? Redeem us back to what? Where did we fall from? From the garden, from that, we, we fell from the position, the position of rule, reign, ten, guard, keep, fruitful, multiply. That's, that's where we fell from. So if Jesus, if that's where we fell, if that's where it broke off and Jesus came to bring us back to, he obviously brought us back to the place before it broke off. Amen? So Jesus came to bring us back to a place of guard, keep, be fruitful, be multiply, a place and a position of authority here on the earth. So just like Adam, how things went in the garden, whether, whether they remained bountiful, peaceful, fruitful, it was dependent on Adam. If things didn't go well in the garden, it was Adam's responsibility. It was because of Adam's sin. Today, on the earth today, how things are going on the earth today Many times people just shake their head and say, well, if God is really God and if God is really love, then how can this be happening? God did his part and he delegated it to the church. And so what people should be saying, if the church is really valid, then why is this going on in our world today? And then we, as members, bodies, members of the body of Christ, individual members, but collectively we're all one, we should man up and say, all right, this is our responsibility. If there are hungry and naked people in our community, then it's our responsibility to feed and to clothe and to shelter. The church's responsibility. How things go in our households, how things go in our communities, how things go in our churches, how things go in our country as a whole, how things are going, how things are going in the world is on the shoulders of the church. We are the salt. What does salt do? What does salt do? Preserves and gives it taste. And we are the light. What does light do? Dispels what? Darkness. So if darkness is not dispelled and the things are pretty tasteless and they're not preserved, can we point our finger to a sovereign God and say, it's your fault. You're not really love. You're not really real. Or should we take a good look at ourselves, the body of Christ, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and say, you know what? There's something missing here. Now, someone's not standing in the gap. Someone's not praying. Someone's not doing their job. 
And that someone may very well begin with me. And then when you look in your mirror and say, well, yeah, and with me, and with me. And so, so we, again, this is not to bring condemnation. This is to encourage us to, and, and to, again, remind us we have a responsibility. And along with this, not only is it a responsibility, but think about what a privilege it is. God, the creator of the universe, has made a decision in his sovereign will and in his sovereign wisdom. He made the choice to work here on the earth. He made the choice to work through us humans. He made that choice. What an awesome responsibility. What an awesome privilege. God chose to work through you. He chose you. There's some people that will only be reached through you. There's some people that will only be reached through me. God ordained it that way. How things go are really dependent on us, the body of Christ, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, being the salt and the light. Oh, we're quick to point fingers at our government, how evil, corrupt, and dysfunctional. <laughs> Just recognize when you're pointing the finger at the government, there's some, three of them pointing right back at us. We have a responsibility to pray. So why pray? Well, we pray because how things go, it's really dependent on what we are believing God for, what we are declaring, what we are petitioning, and, and so forth. So uh, let's embrace the incredible invitation to partner with God in prayer. It's an incredible invitation to partner with him. And let's, let's just stand together and believe God together. What, I invite you to turn to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 22. So I want to give you a couple examples from the word of God this morning for you to meditate on and to inspire you and hopefully also just open up your eyes to your responsibility in praying. Ezekiel 22. And Ezekiel, uh, he served as a priest and a prophet, ministering during probably the darkest, the darkest days of Judah's history. It was during the 70-year period of Babylonian captivity when he served as a priest and a prophet. And uh, in that time, uh, this is recorded of him. In verse 30, and 31, he's lamenting the condition of the people, the condition of their hearts and their having turned away from God and just, just all the evil that they were partaking in. In verse 30, he makes a statement. This is about God and how, how God is looking at the people. And God is saying, so I sought for a man among them who would make up a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. But I found none. Everyone say, God found no one. He could find no one to pray. He could find no one to intercede on behalf of the wickedness of the people. He was looking for someone to pray. His justice demanded judgment. God's righteousness and justice demanded judgment be carried out against his people, but his love and his mercy, he would rather be able to find someone who would petition him and stand in the gap and say, I stand in the gap. I plead on behalf of this people in the name of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let your love and let your mercy rule and reign. But he couldn't find anyone. 
He couldn't find anyone. Therefore, the next verse says, therefore I poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. I have recompensed their deeds. You know, it's their deeds on their heads, says the Lord. So it was their deeds came back to them. Their deeds being all the corruption that they were sowing. It all came back and consumed them. So I believe that this scripture and several others support our belief that even though God's existence and character are completely independent of, of any created being, us included, that's verified in Acts 17. He doesn't need anything from us in, in that sense. But, uh, but, and God has all the resources that he needs. God definitely needs our prayers. He has chosen to be working, to work interdependent with us, not independent of us. Likewise, we should make the decisions, accept the invitation to work together interdependent with God, not independent of him. We are working together with him. God needs our prayers. God's justice demanded judgment. His love and mercy wanted forgiveness. Had God been able to find a person to intercede and ask him to spare the people, he could have. He could have, but he found no one. And so their deeds came back on them. He found none. Everyone say, he found none. Don't let it be said of your life and your, and your sphere of influence that if someone would have prayed, if someone would have believed God, if someone would have declared God's truth, if someone would have stood up and said, this is the day that seals, this is the morning that seals the promises. Jesus Christ is risen from the grave. He's resurrected again. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father, and he's, he's made us alive together with him. He's seated us together with him, and bless God, we are believers in the lordship of Jesus Christ. We are declaring that the works of evil have no place in our hearts, in our minds, in my family, in my marriage, in my community, in my church, in my country. I am going to intercede. I'm going to continue to intercede. Matter of fact, it's the intercessions that are going up uh, from the body of Christ that are, that are causing us to experience the peace and prosperity and blessings that we are experiencing. Even in the midst of all the evilness we see, we are still, the salt is working, but I think we just need to put more salt on and we need to shed more light in Jesus' name and dispel the works of darkness and not just cower. Well, you know, Pastor Ray, it's going to get darker in the last days. Well, it's going to, maybe it will get darker for the world, but it's not going to get darker for us. The children, the children of Israel, they were in Egypt when the plagues were taking place. Gross darkness covered the earth. That gross darkness that could be felt. Have you ever been in an environment where you could feel evil? You just kind of, you know, you could, it's just something's not right. This is, you know, it's like, sometimes we call it tension, but really it's a, just evil. Well, in that situation, the children of God had light. So I want you to know we always have light. And we can always pray and we can always petition God and believe God. So God was looking for one person, one person. In Genesis chapter 18, we don't have time to, to, to read through it all, but in Genesis chapter 18, God is in a similar situation. And this is Sodom and Gomorrah of all the sin that's taking place there. And he has it on his mind that judgment needs to take place and it need to be wiped out. But he said, you know, Abraham is a friend of mine. Abraham is a friend of mine. Uh, if you're not familiar with the life of Abraham in the word of God, Abraham is our, is, is our covenant father. He's the father of our faith. And we are children of Abraham. And so Abraham is, is a significant character 
throughout the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. So I encourage you sometime to, to study that out some more. But suffice it to say, God was not going to do anything on the earth without talking to Abraham. In verse 17, it says, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? Next verse says, Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. I've known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, and so forth. But uh, and so he's, he's, he's going to be coming down on, in verse 20, it says, The Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me, and if not, I will know. Then he turned away from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham stood still before the Lord, and Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Abraham, the friend of God, is petitioning God. God has had his fill, and he's, he's, he's let his righteous indignation and judgment be poured out. And Abraham said, Would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous, verse 24, within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for 50 righteous that were in it? I love verse 25. I like all these verses, but listen to this next verse. Verse 25, far be it from you to do such a thing as this. <laughs> That's my daddy. That's my father of faith telling God, far be it from you to do that. Banish the thought. What are you thinking? He's talking to God, the creator of the universe. That's what he's saying. And he's, and he's petitioning God. And it goes through and he continues to petition him. First it's 50. Then God relents and says, no, I won't do it if there's 50 righteous people there. And then Abraham continues to press it. Well, what if there's 40? And God said, no, I won't do it if there's 40. Well, what if there's 30? No, I won't even do it if there's 30. He keeps pressing and keeps pressing. And he gets it down to 10. So what if there's 10 people? I won't do it for 10. I don't know why he stopped there. Maybe he thought that he can't find that many. Whatever the deal is, but he, he, he stopped there. But I just love the interaction that Abraham had with God, and he was able to petition him. That's what, I think that's what, God was, what Ezekiel was referring to when he said, I was looking for a man that would build a wall. I was, standing for, I was looking for someone that would stand in the gap so that my grace and mercy could be showered out rather than my judgment, but I couldn't find anyone. So Abraham's intercession. Now keep that in mind, those two stories in mind, and turn with me to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. They keep moving these stories around in my Bible here. <laughs> Mark chapter 6. Jesus is rejected in his own hometown in this particular setting. And they were saying, well, this is not really Jesus, the son of God. This, is, you know, this guy is a carpenter. He's the son of Mary. He's the brother of James and Joseph, and they name, name his siblings. And, and, uh, so anyway, they were, verse 3 of Mark chapter 6 says, they were offended at him. Remember said they were offended at Jesus. Have you ever been offended at God? Don't be religious on me. I've been offended at God. There's a few things that transpired in life that I thought God let me down on, but, uh, you know, I know he didn't, but at the moment I felt offended. I got over it. I got over it. Amen. 
<laughs> but I'm just going to be honest with you that at the moment or moments for season of time, I felt offended at him. So anyway, that's a different message. Verse four, Jesus said to them, he profiteth not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives and in his own house. Notice verse five. Now he could do no mighty work there. He could do no mighty work there. So I'm, I'm sharing this with you because some people have this idea that in God and his sovereignty, he can do whatever he wants and he will do whatever he wants. It makes no difference whether I pray or I don't pray. It makes no difference if I believe or don't believe. It makes no difference if I give or if I don't give. It makes no difference if I sow or I don't sow. It just makes no difference. God is God. He'll do what he wants to do and it's just going to be the way it is. So I'm just going to go ahead and live life however I feel like living it because the outcome will be the same. That's not true. God could do no mighty work here because the people were offended at him. And so the idea is that, again, just sharing that with you, that he couldn't do it there. Again, the reason he couldn't do it is because he needs us to believe in him. He needs us to have faith in him, to have faith in God and, and to believe him and be bold like Abraham. Say, now, God, your word says thus and so. So, you, you know, surely you wouldn't do such a thing as that. Surely you wouldn't allow this to take place. You know, this is, the, this is the morning that seals the promise. I'm standing in the gap. I'm standing up for the word. I'm standing up for the promises that I see in your word that are not yet manifested in my life. I'm standing up on it. And as far as I'm concerned, this seals every promise that God ever made because I'm going to stand in the gap and I'm going to petition heaven and I'm not relenting. I'm building a wall that the enemy can't penetrate and I'm petitioning heaven and it won't, will not be said of me. It will not be said of this church. It will not be said in this community that God wanted to do something, but he couldn't do it because the people at Grace Fellowship would not believe him and they were offended at him. God can do great things. God wants to do great things. And God is desiring to do great things. We are going to posture ourselves to give him a place to do great things. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 23. I'll try to make this my first clothing, okay? Matthew 23. And look at uh, verse 37. Jesus is lamenting over Jerusalem. And he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. That's a nasty bunch. If I ever complain about Grace Fellowship Church, I have to, <laughs> I have to read this one. I, I felt like I'd been persecuted, but not quite on this particular level. <laughs> I didn't have stones thrown at me, but anyway. How often, look, look at this next line, how often I wanted to gather your children together. He's expressing his heart's desire. He's expressing his will, what he wants to do on the earth. He wants to gather a people together. This is what God wants to do. And don't, you know, and again, challenge your thinking. It has your thinking been or is your thinking, well, if God wants to gather his people together, God will gather his people together. He is God after all. He is God after all. But he made the, he in his sovereignty set up the system that he is working through the body of Christ, through humanity. 
We have been restored. When we accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we have been restored to that position and responsibility that Adam and Eve had in the garden to guard it, to keep it, to tend it, to be fruitful and to multiply. And so we have responsibilities. We want to shirk our responsibility and say, God, just do whatever you want to do. And obviously, it's you want to gather your people, so gather your people. If God could do whatever he wanted to do, I think, first of all, in a church setting, he'd make you pay your tithe. When I see that, then I'll start believing that God can just do whatever he wants to do. Everyone just, boom, you just you get your paycheck. You can't wait to get rid of the tithe. And then he'd make us all walk in love towards one another. And some other things he'd probably do before that, such as uh, empty out the hospitals, put an end to abortion. He just put an end to all that. It's not God's will that babies be aborted. So if God could do whatever he wanted to do, why isn't he doing it? Why wouldn't he do it? He wants to. He is love. It's not his will that people die prematurely. It's not his will that babies are aborted. It's not his will that babies are starving, that people aren't being, uh, don't have the proper nutrition and clothing and food and shelter. Obviously, you read the word of God, it's God's will. He is love. That's who he is. And he wants the very best for us. That's his will for us. But just like here saying, I wanted to gather them, I wanted to gather together your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. But you were not willing. Who was not willing? The people. The people were not willing. God will not violate your free will. He is a sovereign God, but in his sovereignty, he has given you a free will. If he would just violate it at random, it really wouldn't be a free will. We really wouldn't need to be preaching the gospel. We really wouldn't need to be doing anything because his word says he, he, he so loved us and he sent Jesus to die for us that none should perish, but that all should have eternal life. Well, if that's his will, then just make it happen. You say, why do I need to pray if that's his will? Well, it's his will for you to be born again, to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. And it was his will for my life ever since I was created. But I didn't come into that until I was in my early 20s when I finally prayed to prayer and accepted him as my personal Lord and Savior. It didn't just become his will that night. It was his will all along. It's his will for all of us. And even though it's his will and his desire and Jesus came from heaven to earth and went to the cross and shed his blood at the cross and died and was buried on the third day, he was risen from the, uh, risen from the grave victoriously. All those things had taken place, but I was still lost in my sin until I prayed the prayer, what we call the prayer unto salvation. So that's how we come into the kingdom, by hearing and believing and accepting. God wants to, but we were not willing. God wants to restore, but the people weren't willing. God wants to do something, but the people were offended and he could do nothing mighty there. He could just do a few minor miracles, but he couldn't do anything great there because the people were offended. So let's just be honest with ourselves. Perhaps there's more that God wants to do in our own personal lives. Perhaps there's more that God wants to do in your household. Perhaps there's more God wants to do in your marriage. Perhaps there's more God wants to do in our local church. Perhaps there's more God wants to do in our communities, in our schools, in our marketplaces, in our local government, state government, national government. Perhaps there's more God wants to do if we were willing. And we say, if I were willing. Matter of fact, I think there's a scripture in the Old Testament. If my people will humble themselves and pray 
If my people will humble themselves and pray, I will hear from heaven and I'll heal the land. Amen? Amen. So you don't like the way things are going? Change it. (laughs) Change it? How can I change it, Pastor Ray? Pray. Start believing God. Start believing God. Start praying. Be that person that God is looking for to stand in the gap, to build the wall, that bless God. This is the day that sealed the promise. And no more are we being tossed from pillar to post with goofy doctrines, strife and unbelief, and and just allowing just all kinds of works of darkness to penetrate our lives and our families' lives and stealing, killing, and destroying because Jesus has come to give us life and to give it to us more abundantly. Amen. Amen. So I hope you're convinced of one thing, and that is it's your responsibility to pray. Why pray? Because you're the one that's in charge. It's your responsibility. And I think once, you, once the weight of that responsibility hits you, you will pray. <laughs> did, you, did, you ever, did you ever step into something all of a sudden, in a season of life where all of a sudden you felt responsible? Like you had a child, you're married and you have a child, and like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. <laughs> I have a sense of responsibility. I remember a few years ago, I was with Paul Thomas riding mountain bikes out at a Blue Marsh, going around Blue Marsh. And uh, we came to this hill, and Paul Thomas just takes off down this hill like, I mean, just no braking whatsoever. And I, I'm on my brakes, and I'm going around roots and through washout gullies, and I'm taking my time, and he's just flying, and he's just, you know, he's, the gap between us is getting larger because he's just taking off. And I remember my mind looking at him, and I'm thinking, oh, here he is, okay. I remember thinking, Paul has no sense of responsibility whatsoever. <laughs> I'm thinking, I have children, I have a wife, and I'm a pastor of a local church. <laughs> I'm going to apply the brakes, all right? I cannot afford to be busted up. I can't afford to break my neck. I just remember I had that thought. That man has no sense of responsibility. But he's still here. He's still doing fine. So maybe just perhaps he just learned to live the carefree life. We have much to learn from you, Paul. So if you want to exercise that, just go ride bike with Paul. He'll, He'll teach you how to... Cast your care over on the Lord. So, so praise God. So thank you for letting me share that with you today. I want to invite you to embrace the incredible invitation to be a partner with God in prayer. Pray, asking him and believing him. And get beyond, perhaps you're in a rut at this season where I've been in it more than I'd like to admit. I'm in a rut where I'm praying routinely. Do you, ever, do you pray over your food? How many people pray over your food? How many people would be honest and say, have you done it routinely, not really in faith, not really thinking it's necessary? Huh? Get yourself in some third world country someplace or certain restaurants around some of our cities. <laughs> or if you get in the kitchen of some restaurants, you might pray over your food <laughs> out of necessity. But how many times do you just do it habitually and not out of necessity? So break it. Purpose to break it. I do mental games with myself. I just say, I need to break that. I need to break that. I find myself praying. So I, I, that was out of routine. So I just purpose to do it again. Out of faith. Amen. So make sure that you're doing it, that you're asking God, that you're believing God. My prayer, so I'm asking you to really take responsibility and become a person of prayer. And I want to, again, invite you to 
uh, just, just embrace the incredible invitation. It's an invitation from God. And really believe that you are significant. You are significant. You could be that person that Ezekiel was talking about. I'm just looking for one person. It doesn't need to be a whole lot of people. There's, there's, there's all types of examples in the Word of God. There's examples where one person prayed, things changed. There's other examples where multitudes got together in one accord and, and the earth shook and great miracles took place. So we have the gamut. So don't think, well, we have to get hundreds and hundreds or thousands and thousands of people together and we all need to get in agreement. That's wonderful. That's wonderful if you can pull that off. And that does happen. But don't, don't dismiss the power of you praying, believing, and petitioning God in your prayer time. It's powerful. It's powerful. It can change the course of your life, the course of your marriage, the course of your family, the course of your health, your finances, you name it. It can just change everything. So please do it. Accept the invitation. Embrace it. Partner with God in prayer. Ask him. Believe him. And one of the prayer points I want you to be praying about is the Sunday, October 14th service, Vision Sunday. Vision Sunday, encourage you to be here and call others, encourage them to be here. So I want to share with a fresh thing that we believe that God is doing here in Grace Fellowship and the awesome things he has in store for us for the new year, 2019 and beyond. It's going to be, a, we believe it's a very critical time for Grace Fellowship, critical in a good sense, not in a, you know, we're not in critical condition, <laughs> but critical in, in a good sense that there's so much more, as much as we have accomplished through the ministry of Pioneer Church and things that have been here, there's so much more that God has in store for the, for the future of Grace Fellowship Church, and so we're believing it's going to be good, so it's a privilege to participate in what God is doing. I am privileged to be doing what I am doing, and I am blessed to have you all as members of the body of Christ here at Grace Fellowship Church and the other church communities uh, throughout our community. So it's a good thing. Amen. Amen. Love you all. Remember to pray and pray in faith. In Jesus' name, God wants to do something. And don't let it be said, I want it to. He wanted to, but he couldn't because we didn't believe him. He wants to and he's going to because you're believing him. Amen. Praise God. Father, bless this congregation abundantly in Jesus' name. Every household, may the peace of God, the love of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be upon them as they leave the premises here, Lord God. In Jesus' name, may they prosper and be in health even as their souls prosper from this day on. In Jesus' name, amen.